Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Joining us today, it is The Times' very own Tom Roddy. Coming up, we'll discuss Newcastle's strike force and Manuel Pellegrini's crucial clash with Chelsea. First, though, we're looking back at this week's Champions League action. England's finest were in European action this week. On Wednesday, Chelsea and Liverpool only managed draws with Valencia and Napoli, meaning it is all to play for on game week six. Chelsea hosts Lille, knowing three points will be enough to take them to the knockout stages, whereas Liverpool have a tough task away at Salzburg. You would imagine, Tom, that both Jurgen Klopp and Frank Lampard would have wanted their Champions League campaigns in terms of qualification to have all been wrapped up by now. Mm, yeah, well, Jurgen Klopp said that himself, didn't mm. he? He said, we never do it never do it the easy <laughs> way don't. at Liverpool. <laughs> um, but of course, it's the, the, the issue is, you know, we've got the game coming up, the Carabao Cup game, and then the club championship game. It's, a, it's an extremely busy month for them, December. And I think the, the biggest sort of concern I'd have taken away from it was seeing Fabinho walk away from that game mm. in, in the protective boot. I mean, a year ago, there was there was talk of him possibly even leaving. And now, now he's indispensable to that team, I think, anyway, the way he kind of anchored in that in that midfield. Um, and I think he was... Uh, I saw them pa- play at Palace last weekend, and he, he's just an integral part of that team, especially, you know, what they've been doing recently is grinding out wins. They haven't been particularly brilliant and going through these games, that's what you've got to do in December. And I think he'll be crucial to that. Yeah, very busy fixture list for, for Liverpool in December. When you have to add in all the extra competitions that they have to contend with next month, Gregor. Talking about Chelsea, though, they have this one more game to come in the Champions League and they know that a win will be enough to take them through to knockout stages. Do you think Frank Lampard might relish that? The fact actually they still have something to play for. It's a positive to take through into that rather than we can take our foot off the gas. We're already through to the knockout stages. No, I think you'd like to have been through. (laughs) (laughs) It is very different to Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool are the holders. Uh, They had an opportunity on their home patch to kind of see it it through. Chelsea were a a kind of unknown quantity Mm -hmm. in the Champions League this year. A lot of players had never played in the competition. Um, And they've really... They've done excellently. They've done really, done really well on the whole. Um, the only thing, I mean, it's just been there've been some crazy games they've been involved in. You know, after the Ajax four-all game, this was another one. There were kind of no control about Chelsea's play at all, mm. uh, especially towards the end. And um, Valencia really could have won it actually. Um, still, kind of a bit of space in midfield, I think, um, with Jorginho and Canty playing a little a little bit more advanced and they've still not really got that kind of control I think they've not 
quite got that uh, under control. And I think Reese James, as as much of a kind of outstanding talent as he is, played very gung, very much kind of gung ho, and um, he's a little bit naive at times, but but a, a heck of a talent. So you know, Chelsea is that's been part of the thing that has been so endearing about watching Chelsea this season. They've been they've been fantastic to watch, thrilling to watch, but. In the Champions League, it's just been what the wacky races every week with them, and uh, <laughs> you know that doesn't doesn't fill your confidence for the for mm. the for the game against Lille as well. They reflect what they are an inexperienced side that Absolutely, have yeah. kind of just uh, just been put together in, in in essence. And the issue, like like you say, Gregor, about the kind of lack of control that they have in games and the almost lack of maturity is that's where you get punished in in the knockout stages. Uh, they you know they won't go far if they keep playing in that way. It was a completely chaotic game at the Mustaya the uh, last night, um, and uh, I think he's trying to Lampard's trying to rotate the team by bringing in Christensen, who's a player who plays off off confidence. And when he's not in the team, he's not confident at all. Under the the Conte era, he was so much better playing in a back three. But when he's not in the team, he lacks confidence. And and I think he's he's trying to Lampard's trying to freshen it up. Um, but there's there there lacks a bit of maturity in there. Heading to Austria isn't a given win for Liverpool, who were pegged back to three all with Salzburg in October before Mo Salah's second half winner. Salzburg still have a lot to play for in this uh, group stage of the Champions League. The last thing Liverpool will want, Gregor, having already mentioned the fact that they are the Champions League winners, is to, to be playing Europa League football. Oh yeah, I mean, I think they'd rather just go out completely than, than descend into the Europa League and mm. play more games on Thursday evenings and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I think that was the first of 12 games in 36 days that Liverpool have. It's crazy, a crazy uh, list of the fixtures. Um, I think you could see how much Trent Alexander-Arnold means to Liverpool. Just that one change, it seems strange. A right-back is kind of, in any other team, that's, you know, he's he's a playmaker. And his omission was kind of, that was keenly felt. That's why they threw him on towards the end, I think. Um, and obviously they're going to they're going to Austria and they've got to contend with the kind of one of the most informed strikers in, in Europe at the moment in Erling Haaland, who's got twenty seven goals in nineteen games, I believe. So yeah, it's not going to be an easy one, but look I think if you go back to this time last year that when Napoli came to, to Anfield and they had to get that, that point as well. Um I remember Allison making a, a worldy of a save at the end as well to sort of ensure that they progress. So Liverpool have been in this position before. In fact, they're always, almost always in this position. They never make it easy for themselves, as as Tom said. So um, I'd still back them to come through. And you mentioned, obviously, they don't make it easy for themselves. Defensively, they're not making it easy for themselves, Tom, because I think, what, in their last 11 games, they have conceded at least once. I think you have to go back to the, that sort of record of Brad Friedel being in goal for them to have conceded that many times uh, in games consecutively. So we've spoken a lot about Liverpool's defence this season and it, it not necessarily looking its, its sharpest, but this is going to be a, a big concern for Jurgen Klopp, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. And as Gregor said, I'm, I'm so intrigued to see Virgil van Dijk up against Haaland. Um, yeah. I think that's going to be one of the biggest tests he's had. And, and you see... Uh, Van Van Dijk's still that imperious defender that he 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 was last year. Um, I I wonder whether it's it's. I always look at Liverpool's midfield and 
question whether it doesn't look like a conventional midfield it never has done it works in a different way they work in that collective which is what Klopp always talks about and of course in in defense the wing backs their their kind of role is 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 attacking football but they they seem to be a little bit they seem to be caught out a little bit Zaha did it last week got in there behind there quite a few times so did Andros Townsend and that's the way Haaland plays as well. He's not your conventional number nine. He's he's all over the place. So uh, you can see him troubling them. I think you have to say Napoli, they played really well. And, they, you know, they came with a game plan. They sat in deep and they played on the break. And, you know, the, there was an issue with Liverpool's sort of playing a higher line than, than previous seasons earlier in the season. And that seemed to have dissipated a bit. But certainly for the for the Napoli goal, they were very high up the pitch. There was, you know, there was a, there was talk of whether there was a foul on Van Dijk. I, even as a defender, I think that would have been harsh, personally. Um, and that, you know, I think Napoli were really intelligent in the way they approached the game, and they've they've done that consistently. I think they've played three or four times against Liverpool in the last two seasons. So, um, yeah, you know, I think some teams in the Premier League can perhaps take a leaf out of their book the way they approach that game. And uh, credit to Napoli in this as well, in the sense of they've got this battle with the owner that they're facing in Italy, who's sending out fines left, right and centre, uh, punishing the team for some of their misconduct, let's just uh, call it that, by not uh, turning up at training camps that he's ordered them to be at. Let's move on to some more positive news, shall we? On Tuesday night for English sides, Manchester City and Jose Mourinho's new Tottenham team booked their place in the knockout stages of the Champions League and it was a dramatic European entrance for Jose. His side were 2-0 down to Olympiacos before a second-half turnaround saw Spurs win 4-2. So Mourinho has made his mark on North London. His first game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium ending with three points. It was the new Spurs manager's biggest ever European comeback. What would he have learned, do you think, about his new side, Tom, after that impressive comeback? Uh, that he needs Christian Eriksen oh, really? and can't rely on <laughs> ball boys to, <laughs> to, to... Great quick thinking, though. Yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. No, I, I actually thought the, the ball boy story was, was great and mm. you always love them when they come up. Um, they're just so sort of endearing, and mm-hmm. but but I just like I said, and Hazard's kicking one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yes. Um, and but I just thought it kind of got lost what an impact Christian Eriksen had coming on. Uh, you know, I, I thought a lot of um, Tony Cascarino was writing in the in our paper today about how you know Mourinho's quick changes, and it's right he did it within half an hour, which a lot of managers wouldn't be brave enough to do, but but. Dyer wasn't doing the job and I didn't think he was particularly impressive at West Ham either. So uh, I think I think part of this is a message to to Ericsson. He said it already in his short time as as Tottenham manager that the the the, the situation his uncertain future at the club because he hasn't signed a new contract will dictate how he selects his first 11. And so far, that's seen Christian Eriksen start from the bench, but it, it, I can't see it going on, carrying on that way. See, I think I think a bit much was made about Mourinho's influence on this game. They were two 0 down, right? And he took off a defender, a defensive midfielder for an attacking player. It's not like rocket science, <laughs> and he could have taken off Winks as well, who was horrendous in the well, first he, half. Well, he did say it was one or the other, but didn't yeah, he? I mean, Spurs were, were terrible in the first half, and they were t- and and they didn't they didn't improve much actually until they were gifted a goal. And then in the second half, they upped it a little bit. And still, I wouldn't say until the hour mark, Dele Alley as well, he got a stand innovation. He was terrible for an hour. They were really poor, I thought, Spurs. And yes, they showed character and they 
but they were gifted goals for half time and um they've got always got Harry Kane mm-hmm. and you know they had to rely upon him again so I don't think you can make too much of of the Mourinho effect yet it's two, we're two games in sorry to be the miserable Scotsman you really are aren't you <laughs> everyone's like lauding the fact that yeah, everything no, has getting, changed getting and, carried away. and maybe under Maurizio Pochettino they might have got back into it but it would have been a draw it wouldn't have been anything more mm. than a draw that's what Tottenham used to do wasn't it Spursy you know um, okay so you're not having it does that mean then you're not having it that they have qualified for the knockout stages that this could be a, a cup that he could win Mourinho for Tottenham I think it's a stretch. I mean, yeah, yeah they've, look, they've still got the defensive sort of frailties. Um, ben Davis is out injured for a bit now. Danny Rose has looked a bit rusty, I think. Um, another thing is, you know, people are saying that Aurier has been sort of transformed. No, they've pu- he's pushed him high because he can attack and he, he's a little bit of a liability defending. So, you know... Perhaps that's tactical, but he's also playing to the player's strength, which is intelligent in itself. But um, and I think, as I say, I thought Dier and Winks were really, really poor. And Dombley coming back is going to be big. And I think Sissoko is probably going to have quite a big part to play. He seems like a Mourinho player, yeah. Sissoko, doesn't he? I wouldn't even, you know, he wouldn't even go beyond Wanyama coming back into the mm. fold, you know? I think he's going to look for strength in front of that about four because Dier looked like he was lumbering around I know he needs he needs games to be to be kind of at full fitness and as I say Winks Winks was kind of he's not he's not quite got the defensive nous I think for for a Mourinho midfielder so look as yeah they've got Harry Kane he'll score the goals he's continued to do it and his record in in Champions League I think he was the quickest to get to 20 goals um, of any player in the Champions League um, so they'll always have a chance but I think they're they're going to have it's got to be a stretch to say that they're going to they're contenders to win it at the moment I think Mourinho's just trying to tick the you know push the right buttons with the players isn't he even with Lucas Moura Lucas Moura said the other night that he's you know he he basically suggested that Mauricio Pochettino was wasting him by playing him as a number nine he said I'm not a number nine I'm I'm a wide player Mourinho does that and he's he's instantly in his in his good books um but on the on the, the suggestion also of whether they could win the, the, the trophy, Pochettino always described it as a miracle, didn't he? He mm. said it would be a miracle to do that. And and while Mourinho's been very kind of flattering towards his predecessor and, and even inviting him to Spurs Lodge for a bit of dinner, um he he, he has <laughs> He's always welcome, yes, he says it's always his home. welcome, yes. Um he 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 did say that it was not quite a miracle. I think he was playing that down. So um, yeah. Just a line on on what you were saying about Christian Eriksen, of course, not starting this game. Toby Alderweireld did start. We know that he has contract issues at the club. That he, as it stands, he, he's running that contract down. But he has, after that game against Olympiacos, spoken a bit more positively of life at Tottenham, and maybe maybe. And this is just me surmising that he could, maybe there will be contract negotiations on the table where he where he might decide to stay. Do you think, with Ericsson being on the bench, suggests that actually there probably is no hope for him sticking around? Yeah, I think it's sort of heading that way. I get, as you say, you know, the beginning, he, Mourinho goes in there first day. He has all these one-on-one meetings with with the players, um, with all the, the the high-profile players in in his team, and and Ericsson is one of them. He sits him down and and has a conversation with him, and 
the outcome of that is he starts on the bench. So his indication of his future is 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 not bright at the club. He he clearly isn't isn't keen, and that was why Pochettino had such an had such an issue with him being there. Now let's look ahead to this weekend's domestic action. First up, this Premier League weekend, Newcastle welcomed the champions Manchester City to St James's Park. A daunting prospect at the best of times made worse by the Magpies' faltering forwards. Monday's defeat to Aston Villa was Steve Bruce's first game on the touchline at Villa Park since he was sacked by the club just over a year ago when they were in the championship. An unhappy return that was rubbed in Bruce's face by the Villa faithful. The Northern Sports correspondent for The Times, Martin Hardy, witnessed that 2-0 defeat for Newcastle at Villa and wrote a punchy piece in Monday's paper about the hard work that the Newcastle manager has ahead of him. And Martin joins us now on the game podcast. Um, Despite the, the great amount of negativity around Bruce's appointment, Martin, Newcastle... I suppose have started the season fairly positively. A win would have taken them into the top half of the table. Despite that defeat, they have 15 points and sit in 14th place. Is that good enough for Newcastle as things stand? Well, you try to give anything in your Cass United context and it's not easy. In 2018-19 season, at this stage, they had 13 points and were 12th. And the season before, they were um, 13th with 14 points. It suggests... Not that much is changing. However, when Steve Bruce arrived in what was unquestionably a storm during the summer, he was the unlikely replacement for Rafa Benitez. I think if you'd offered him and the club um, the position that the club is in right now, I think they would have snapped your hands off. The big problem, and with the club, there is always everything's always counted with paradoxes. He was brought in to increase the amount of goals the team scored and to add flair and excitement when Newcastle were the second lowest scorers in the division. Mm. So yes, it's okay. It's not bad. It's probably better than a lot of people would have thought. However, it's not quite there yet. And that was borne out on Monday night, where it was a particularly frustrating night for the three forwards. Whether Newcastle's recruitment is oversimplistic in that they were very solid with Benitez and we'll spend £80 million on Almiron, uh, Joe Linton and Alance Maximin, and the team will end score goals might be being borne out at the minute, which is why, aside from the fact Steve Bruce had lost at the ground where he had a cabbage thrown at him the last time he was there. He really did stomp off down, down the touchline to get away. And there is, there is, despite the fact uh, they're in a good position, there is a lot of thought and perhaps tinkering with the team to be done. Mm. You mentioned then the, the misfiring forward line that they have with Almiron, Joe Linton and St. Maximum as well. Um, what does he need to do to get them firing? And I, I know Steve quite well. If I could answer that, I think he would take me out for a rather nice meal and a, a nice bottle of wine. Indeed. And I, that would probably be the, that would be the first person I would tell. I think <laughs> I think realistically, and then Almon did, Almon did very well when he came in last season. And I used the phrase sliding doors in the piece I did for Monday. In his debut game against Huddersfield, he tips the keeper and the ball hits the post and bounces away. And if that goes in, does he have a different career in Newcastle? He has still yet to score. Mm. He does add something to the team in terms of his energy and his speed. However, on Monday night, um, twice he was the ball was passed him in the Aston Villa penalty area, and he just looked absolutely lost in terms of confidence. My my thoughts would be give him a break. It's Manchester City on Saturday. Sometimes um, a little break from the team can really boost the players. Uh, a lot amongst the supporters. 
he may come on later and we get a great reception. He is still fairly popular with the fans, but I think it's a game where you think, right, come away for 90 minutes or 60 minutes, take a break and perhaps add the energy of a Matty Long stuff in there, which was one of the things Newcastle missed on Monday and is one of the things which is why Steve Bruce has looked at Granite Shaka to try and add a bit more creativity and strength in the middle of midfield. Are they starting to... As... Go on, Martin. Sorry, no, I was going to say, as for the other two, it's, it's difficult. I, I was never a massive fan of the idea of signing Andy Carroll in the summer. He's probably probably played in total about one and a half games for all the minutes he's come on. So yet you've brought in a rookie from Germany in Joel Linton who has no real backup. Dwight Gale is now fit. By the end of the game at Villa Park, you had Joel Linton had gone off. Andy Carroll was up front with Dwight Gale. And you're thinking, I'm not sure if there's a great deal of progress in there, but but we'll see. You mentioned, you know, Steve Bruce. Um, what's the mood like around him now? Because obviously when he got the appointment, it perhaps wasn't the most positive of reactions that was received by a lot of Newcastle fans. Yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's sometimes a beauty in understatement. Um, so that's correct what you said. Uh, he knew he was walking into a very difficult situation and he knew he wasn't the, the well, he wasn't Rafa Benitez for starters and he wasn't perhaps the big name that uh, had been mentioned as a potential successor. Um, in himself, you can see that his body language is, uh, has softened, his, his shoulders have dropped, if you like. He's more comfortable chatting to everybody now. Um, the, 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 the back-to-back wins Newcastle recorded at West Ham and at Bournemouth are vital just to get the team up the table and to take the pressure off him. The next big stage is, though, to, to evolve this team into something different, which is why, sorry to go back to the piece I did, he doesn't want to play three centre-halves and he's inherited six central defenders. He wants more energy in midfield, which means Newcastle have to go back in the transfer market. He will unquestionably, or he does unquestionably, want a centre-forward that will score goals. The three players you mentioned before for the entirety of the season have scored once. Um, so, again, come back to what, what, what I came on at. Um, there doesn't appear to be that much progress in terms of league position and points, but you're going to have to dismantle it again to move it on. Now, there will be some money to be spent, but then three forwards, he has to make has to make work because of the way the club is run, and that's that, that, that's the big pressure on him. But as a person, as a person, he spent a bit of time back at home. He's more relaxed. Him and his wife Jan went over to the Walker Dome where he grew up, and she ran. and He said it was very emotional to go back to a place from 50, 40 years ago where, and he's now the manager of Newcastle United. So the other thing is, he said, "I will enjoy this." I don't think he enjoyed it a great deal at the start, but he's starting to enjoy it a little bit. Mm. Uh, tell us a little bit about the piece that you've done on um, St. Maximum then. You, you've interviewed him, haven't you? Yes. Um, I, he did a, he did a Q&A with supporters for Radio Newcastle um, at the end of last week, and I was kindly invited along. Surprised. You see him on the pitch. He has the flamboyance. He has the hair. He wears the Gucci headband. Um but when he was there, his two little daughters were there who were fairly adorable and very cute. His partner was there. And he was a contradiction to what you expect. Now, he said, I'm very humble. He's, un- he's unhappy with the perception of that he's flash in France. Um, he wants to make things work in the castle. He, he, but there is just a phenomenal amount of pressure on him. But he said, I feel nothing on the pitch, which might mean that it will work. You have to remember, he's still only 22. And now... All of Newcastle's attack and fulcrum comes through him. Um, but uh, quite a, a, a very strange, not, not strange, strange in a good way, in that he was not who I thought he would be. Mm. Um, and it seems re- remarkably dedicated to making 
success happen in Newcastle for, for uh, however long he is at the club. Martin, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate that. You're very welcome. Pleasure. Well, you can read that interview that Martin Hardy has done with Alan St. Maximum on the website later on this evening. Let me speak to you once again, Gregor and Tom, on Newcastle. Tom, what do you think Newcastle's realistic targets should be this season? Well, I think the 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 ambitions should be, I suppose, trying to get up to to mid table. Really, mm. that's that should be the goal. You've got to get as get as high as you can. Um, I just I I don't know if that's possible with with that attack. I mean, Martin was talking about the Andy Carroll signing there. I think. It was possibly, you know, he knows Steve Bruce more than I do, but I felt like that was more kind of honing in on the the the, the culture and community element, bringing harking back to better sort of better days. And it's a bit sentimental, at yeah, felt, exactly yeah. that, exactly that, and and it kind of hasn't really worked so far because of the typical Andy Carroll problems in in match fitness. I mean, it would be it'd be good to see him start a game and 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 play the whole thing out because he's he's a he, he's a pr- issue for for defenders isn't he? he's a real real problem for defenders to to handle he's a handful um and Jolinton just hasn't been doing it even though th- there've been early signs there but i think the the ambitions really would be mid table uh, and we've talked about well we spoke with martin there about the issues they have up front and they're not firing at all the front three but also, really, throughout the the team, there are issues. There's a vulnerability at the back as well for, for Newcastle, Gregor. It's just a whole long list of things that Steve Bruce has to work on. Yeah, but, I mean, he knew this when he when he was arriving. Um, uh, you know, I think they, they have got the kind of... the basis of a of a sound defence. They've got, they've got some decent defenders with Premier League experience there. And Bruce can organise them well. He's done it, he's done it in, in several games this season, notably... Tottenham away, um, mm-hmm. and I think I think Sam Maximin's got something. I I watch him and I, I think I would hate to play against him because really? he doesn't. So what is it you see in him? He he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> so how would, how are you supposed to know what you're doing? What he's doing? He, uh, you know, I think he just plays so off the cuff. He's like mm. one of these guys who's playing in the playground, <laughs> and and he and he's got you know he's got kind of that unpredictability and he's got pace. So I think he could come good out of the three of them. He could be one. Whether he's a, going to be a prolific goal scorer, I'm not sure, but I think he could be kind of a provider. Almiron, he's the same. He doesn't know what he's doing, but there's not really as much end product. Um, he's, I think, I'm not sure he's good enough to be honest. That's that's the cold kind of hard fact about mm. him. And Joe Ellington's playing. It's a difficult, um, difficult team for a striker to be playing at the moment. I also think getting the best out of Shelby is key because when you see him, you know, he came back into the team and he's playing those. Passes like a quarterback, sending it from deep midfield out to the out to the wings, and he is a real talent. You know, mm. he's someone who's got the talent to be good enough for England, but he's just kind of had certain issues in his in his career and in his private life sometimes as well. So, I think he he's someone that's that be really important for for Newcastle as well. Um, I think they're definitely good enough to stay up, but I don't think they've got much in the way of ambitions beyond that, and there's lots of reasons for that. 
things are looking no more positive for Manuel Pellegrini and his West Ham side. The Hammers will face their fierce London rivals for a second week in a row. This time they're going to take on Chelsea, who'll be looking to bounce straight back after defeat to Manchester City last week. Even with a defeat, West Ham should avoid dropping into the relegation zone thanks to their superior goal difference. But... This was supposed to be the season that the Hammers left their mark on the Premier League and challenged at the top end. So why are things not working out that way, Tom? Well, I think the, the I think mainly, you know, you look back at the beginning of the season and we were we were looking at the 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 contenders who could kind of break into that top six when mm. all the all the t- the teams, you know, to the Tottenham's, the the Chelsea, the new manager coming in, Man United's issues, and West Ham were one of those we were getting, or I was getting a bit overexcited about, you know, about how whether they could actually do it, and I think it was because of the the depth of their squad and the talent in their squad i mean they have they have a real good core in isidiop Declan Rice and Sebastian Haller looked like a good signing and then they had the flair players the exciting flair players in uh, Felipe Anderson Yarmolenko and and Pablo Fornals um but it just it hasn't worked out that way and and i mean i i, I look at Pellegrini and it just feels he looks like he looks like he's one of a few managers in the Premier League who who already looks a bit beaten looks like he's kind of just already waiting for his P45 to come through um and I don't think he's he doesn't come across as a very I've been in the dressing room with him I must say but um he doesn't come across as the most inspiring of managers and and they kind of play that way as well and it's not going to get any easier as well they've got I think they've got a work Wolves, um, Chelsea, obviously, this weekend and Arsenal after that. Um, Yeah. So, as Tom has said there, he was very optimistic about West Ham's chances. So how do we go from, and and you weren't the only one, Tom, we should say that. Um, So how do we go from such optimism to this wondering why it's not working for for Manuel Pellegrini and West Ham right now? Have you seen anything in in the West Ham side to, to make us question why we were all we were optimistic, but now we're not. No, I agree that it, on paper they have got some real talent. Um, but I think there's also a. I said I mentioned this the other week. I just feel that there's some sort, something kind of an atmosphere pervading West Ham, and it comes from the boardroom, um, and the kind of just the the leadership. It seems a bit kind of a riddle, riddle of shit, really. Mm-hmm. It's kind of or just a lack of sort of joined up thinking in any any processes that go on at, at West Ham United. Um, I think also think that someone like Noble is kind of he's their talisman, but I think him and R- Rice has had a bit of a dip in form as well, and they just look like they're getting played around the midfield, and there there's going to be several reasons for that. Perhaps they they're the pitch is too stretched and they're kind of a bit isolated, but I also think that they're not the most kind of mobile for a midfield pair, and then they bring in Snodgrass, which felt like a bit of a step back into the past after they've spent so much money on this sort of attacking talent. Mm. Um, but that, that attacking talent is there. It's just it's just inconsistent. So I just think I think West Ham they are what they are. I think I think they're a distinctly average team. And well, they, uh, <laughs> we, we can have you on. I'm not a West Ham <laughs> fan, but that just went through no, me. No, I Ooh. think I think they are because they're inconsistent in attack, and they they don't really have as Tom alluded to. They don't really have much in the way of an identity. We're going to come on to talk about Wills and Nuno, Nuno and he's you know we've spoken about. Teams like Sheffield United and Bournemouth, you, you see what the manager has mm-hmm. done to the team. I don't think you can really see that about West Ham. 
Um, but look, I think there's also, like I say, I think there's a kind of atmosphere at West Ham that's pretty hard to shake. And I think, well, those owners are in charge. It will mm. probably always be this way. Well, the West Ham fans certainly aren't the most patient group. They have high expectations at the London Stadium. They let their voices be heard. They've, we've heard it when they showed their dislike of the stadium. They've complained when the owners weren't spending the money. And now their attitude towards Pellegrini, it, it feels, is, is getting worse. So is this game this weekend, Tom, a must win? Manuel Pellegrini. Well, I think managers always do. Whether you're Jurgen Klopp at the top of the league looking to end a 30-year spell without a, a league title or you're at the bottom trying to save your job, managers always talk game by game. Mm-hmm. And that's what Pellegrini's done earlier today. He said, we're just looking at this individual game. But I don't... I think maybe a, a victory against Chelsea would kind of save him from save him from the bullet but i can't i can't see i can't see it making much difference um i think i think if they did win you know it would go in the right direction but what they're uh, seven seven without a win now and not since september which was that man united game which was when they were fifth in the table at the time mm. that was why so we when everyone getting, got really excited i was just about to know. say yeah exactly that you know we were and i think pellegrini back then was saying about how they were kind of getting in that consistency well they weren't um and i think I, I yeah i think the issue now for them is who who kind of who takes over who would who would take over um well, we did speak about roberto last week but you know he skewed skewed the results as well i don't think they are as bad as relegation yes. fodder you know i think they're a mid table average premier league team and that's that's the way it is so when we <laughs> you said this gregor when everyone was getting excited in september were you there going, no, no, this is just <laughs> no, average West Ham? If, I don't want to blow my trumpet. I think if you were to listen back, I'd say, this is still West Ham, you know. I think <laughs> we shouldn't get too excited. <laughs> I say when I'm wrong. <laughs> but I think, look, West Ham are just a funny club. It's hard mm-hmm. to put... That's why I say it comes from the board. I think whenever a club is kind of has a sort of familiar pattern, it often comes from the top. You can change the manager, you can change the players. You've got to look at who's actually picking these man- <laughs> picking the managers and who's recruiting the players and that ultimately comes from the owner of the football club so um, I think unless they appoint someone to sort of with a bit of intelligence and a bit of kind of forward thinking then this is going to be a recurring cycle for West Ham so damning, isn't it? He is, yeah. Average West Ham and someone with intelligence. So Manuel Pellegrini doesn't have that, is what he's suggesting. <laughs> See if we can get Pellegrini on the pod next week. <laughs> After winning only four of their 13 Premier League games this season, Arsenal will likely be weighing up the future of Unai Emery. Reports today are suggesting that they may have now found the successor to him should they decide to sack him. The favourite with the bookmakers to take over from Emery... Dot, dot, dot. The Wolves manager, Nuno Espirito Santo. He is doing a fantastic job at Wolves. There is no doubt about it. Do you think that Arsenal could in any way be able to tempt him away from what he's doing at Molyneux, Tom? I don't think so. No, I think he's I think he's in a I think he's in a project which is it being extremely effective in, in in how they work, and I was concerned for them at the beginning of the season. I think this is what what's been most impressive for me so far is that that um, first Champions League game, uh, excuse me, Europa League game, how they were going to kind of contend with that, mm. and they've just they've 
done it with absolute ease um and i think that's been one of the most impressive things and he's he's you know he's got um an, in- an incredible squad which he's assembled there and, and we know that it's been kind of fueled by a portuguese influx um but it's working it doesn't mm. always mean that it works it's it's absolutely working and and you can see why arsenal would have an interest in him absolutely um but I, I I can't see him leaving at this stage of the season. Um, I think I think he'd at least want to see it through this season. Mm. I mean, like you say, to juggle the Europa League campaign that they are proving to be quite successful in right now, as well as the Premier League, it it just shows the tremendous work that that uh, Nuno Espirito Santo has put into the squad that he's assembling at Wolves. Gregor, absolutely. That's not why I paused like that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, no, he's. I think he'd be a good fit for. For Arsenal, but I don't think he would. I don't think he would take it. Mm. I think that says a lot about both clubs. I think it says a lot about where Arsenal are, and the sort of toxicity around the place, and it says a lot about how how far Wolves have come in what the space of a couple of years. Uh, obviously, huge investment. Um, it helps to have George Mendes able to kind of work his sort of magic in the transfer market but it's worked for them and Wolves fans do not care one jot they've got uh, you know they've got some players that they never thought they would see playing for Wolverhampton Wonders uh, Moutinho and Neves in particular um, so yeah look I think Nuno is someone who should be spoken about in when when sort of big big Premier League jobs come up and I'm sure there will be a, will be a time there might be a time that comes where something would be a bit more appealing to him Um but I think Wolves could finish above Arsenal this year, and Wolves, Wolves have got real, real sort of aspirations to break into this top six as well, to get into the Champions League and to be a force, and they've got the kind of financial backing to do so. So, I think he's happy there, and I'd be very surprised to see him leave for Arsenal. And that's the thing as well now, what you said at the top about it being a project, because being in the Europa League isn't the target for Wolves. The whole thing is to be in the mm. Champions League, to be a Champions League club. So they're no, they're nowhere nowhere near there they're they're not quite there at the end of this project and you kind of get that around the feel of the rest of the squad as well you know the the talents of Ruben Neves has has been picked up and he's been he was linked with Liverpool but it's never gained any real legs those stories and you kind of get the feel that that's because they're all invested in what the project is what they're doing there what they they intend to achieve Mm. and it would be a shame for, for Wolves and Wolves fans, obviously, for, for Nuno Espirito Santo to leave when there is such a good thing going there at the moment. Why would you, why would you want to leave? Well, I mean, obviously, there's several <laughs> several considerations. One being Cha-ching. money, yes. <laughs> um, but I think, like I say, like like Tom says, it would take a lot of money. You know, for Wolves, Wolves wouldn't care about how much money they got for him, and they don't care about how much money they get for people like Neves either. They don't need it, um, and. They, you know, there's the basis of kind of a team built for longevity there as well. You know, Jota, Neves, Jimenez, Cody, they're all kind of young, mid to kind of early 20s, um, potential to develop. And, and they know they're kind of important cogs in the in the machine there. Whereas if they, if they were to take a kind of a lucrative move to a team in, you know, a Liverpool or a Manchester City, then it perhaps wouldn't be the case. So I think, you know, they're all in a good place right now. I don't think that's going to be disrupted. So... 
just to finalise this one for both of you, he's going nowhere. He's so who who is it going to be then? That's the thing. That's the million dollar question. I think that's the fascinating thing about this is that we expected there to be possibly three dismissals this week, and there's been none because no, no one knows who to. You know, I, I'm sure all these clubs are looking around in earnest, thinking who are we going to, you know, the fingers on the trigger. If they lose a couple more games, then they're going to have to make a change. But I don't think they really know who to go for, and that's quite telling. That's the issue, isn't it? Trying to find the the replacement. And there's talk, you know, of the the names always for years. Eddie Howe and the brilliant work he's done down at Bournemouth. And it's certain, it but it's does, a risk. They think, yeah. You know, their, their, their biggest fear is falling out of the Premier League. So they want to get someone who co- will sort of make certain their survival. You know, that's where you'll see, that's why you see David Moyes' name sort of doing the rounds again. So mm. I, th- I think they should think out of the box and but go even, for someone well, like Even Eddie. talking about a club like Arsenal being being a risk with with someone like how no but i mean i think arsenal are also thinking that they're perhaps slightly in a different market to the other two clubs but that's the thing isn't it someone like how unfortunately for him isn't a glamorous name for an no. arsenal no. is is that his biggest issue for eddie how mm. perhaps yeah and it take, you know it would take it's a kind of leap of faith it's, it would take yeah. some bravery to do that but i think somebody should do that soon because i'm not sure what else he can do with bournemouth really um and he's the work he's done there has been nothing short of remarkable. So he's he's deserving of a of a Premier League club that he can he can take on further. I suppose it's almost the PR element of an appointment, isn't it? Because yeah. taking you know Tottenham as, as the biggest example, you you replace Pochettino with someone who's the antithesis of what he what he was. Mm. Yet it's what Mourinho represents. He's a winner. He's a trophy winner. And and if Arsenal, you know, if Arsenal had got him, they they'd recognise that as well. Someone like Eddie Howe, who who hasn't won trophies quite, but done remarkable work, um, would it would it get the same reception? Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests with Tom Roddy and Martin Hardy. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. Have a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday. game is brought to you by the times for more information and more podcasts from the times head to thetimes.co.uk